Good morning and welcome. Welcome to a time together of worship of that which can never really be caught by our words and only hinted at by our arts. Come, let us ready ourselves for the astonishing beauty that is this time and this place. And let us begin our time together by recognizing the beauty that is to the right and left of us. Please turn and introduce and greet and welcome the person closest to you. Please join with me in saying the words by which we light our chalice. <laughs> They're printed in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning uh, is from an unknown author. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. Unitarian Universalism has adherence with roots in many traditions, including all major world religions, secular humanism, earth-centered religions, atheism, and agnosticism. People may ask, what holds you together if you have no common beliefs? One answer at this church is our mission, which we wrote on the wall and say every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Okay, we have a, a stewardship morning this morning, and uh, here's Julie Pache. Thank you. So good morning. I was chatting with a new member of the congregation recently, and they asked me what sort of things I'm involved with at First UU. And among other things, I mentioned the stewardship committee. And this person asked me, what's stewardship? And I thought, it is kind of a funny term. We're the committee that has agreed to help secure the financial resources that are needed to run this congregation. And all of the funding for this church comes from the congregation. Most of it is from pledges that members um, do during the year, and they indicate how much they'll contribute for fiscal year 2017. So we'll canvas the congregation, another term, meaning that we'll meet with and talk with everyone. And I remember last year during the canvas, someone said to me, I wouldn't want to go around and ask people for money. And I thought, that's not how I think about this. I had a wonderful time going around talking to people that I knew in the congregation and having the opportunity to talk to them about what this church means to them specifically. But I also heard things that were so phenomenally motivating about what people from this congregation are doing in the broader Austin community. And I was truly inspired by those contributions to social justice. As I think about my personal financial support for this organization, it has evolved over time. I used to think about wanting to pay my fair share, sort of paying my share of the electricity or the maintenance costs and so on. But now I think about the fact that we are supporting a broader mission. 
uh, when Maddie went to, Maddie's one of our ministers, when she went to Washington, D.C. to lobby representatives from Texas with the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health, I didn't go, but I helped make it possible. And earlier, this congregation provided physical sanctuary for a Guatemalan refugee named Sulma Franco. All three of our ministers went with her to her meeting with the ICE office in San Antonio, and several members of our congregation went too. I didn't go. I didn't take time off from work for this, but I did play a part in making that possible. I am a fabric of this congregation, and our organization supports ministers and many other people so that they are able to be present and do this type of work. So this year, Bill Edwards is the chair of the Stewardship Committee, and if you don't know him, you'll recognize him by his very impressive beard. He's the guy over there. And we're looking for a large number of canvassers to take part in the, um, in the campaign this year. And we'll have a stewardship table that will be outside in the gallery after each of the services. So please stop by if you want to learn more about being one of the canvassers. I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's fun, and it's an easy way to directly increase your participation in this congregation. It's important work, and it's really not that hard. So I urge you to um, stop by the table and learn how you can get more involved. Thank you. Today's reading is from The Truth About Stories, a Native Narrative by Thomas King. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. You can't beat the King James Version of the Bible for the beauty of the language, but it's the story that captures the imagination. God creates night and day, the sun and the moon, all the creatures of the world, and finally, toward the end of his labors, he creates humans, man first and then woman, Adam and Eve, and he places everything and everyone in a garden, a perfect world, no sickness, no death, no hate, no hunger. And there's only one rule. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. One rule, don't break it. But that's exactly what happens. Adam and Eve break the rule doesn't matter how it happens. If you like the orthodox version, you can blame Eve. She eats the apple and brings it back to Adam. Not that Adam says no. A less misogynist reading would blame them both, would chalk up the debacle that followed as an unavoidable mistake, a wrong step, youthful enthusiasm, a misunderstanding, willfulness. But whatever you wish to call it, the rule has been broken, and that is the end of the garden. God seals it off and places an angel with a fiery sword at the entrance and tosses Adam and Eve into a howling wilderness to fend for themselves, a wilderness in which sickness and death, hate and hunger are their constant companions. Let us pause and breathe. 
and go deeper. Being here with a body that is always up to something, an ache, an itch, a gnawing sense of something coming. Being here with this body. And being here with each breath that is always changing, each breath that pulls in and puffs out, ocean-like in its steady cycle. Being here with this breath, And being here still enough to notice the pulse of blood, that insistent throb of now, 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 being here with this blood. Being here with our body, breath, and blood, all at the same time. Such a wondrous process, such a miracle. For this, we breathe and give thanks. And now, as spirit and conscious moves you, you are welcome to come and light a candle of memory or hope. to begin with the words of Adrian Rich. My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. One of my favorite bumper stickers that I saw speeding along it asks, where are we going? And why am I in this handbasket? <laughs> to some it would seem like everything is falling apart and changing for the worse at every turn. And the alarmists in our midst would assure us that we are facing end times. The revolution will not be televised. But here comes Honey Boo Boo. Even for us universalists, this handbasket seems to be heading someplace hot. But what if everything is not falling apart? What if this is actually just business as usual and it's up to us to reframe our response. In some religious circles, people will express their desire to heal our broken world. This sentiment is usually couched as, often, not usually, often couched as part of a mission statement along the lines of what our Salvation Army has as its mission. Here it is. The Salvation Army 
a growing, loving community of people dynamically living God's mission in a broken world, unquote. This language is pretty popular among a lot of justice-seeking Christians. You can find it in colleges and mission trip groups and folks who are just working hard to improve the lives of the poor. And it, it can generally be summed up as something like this. Together we share a quest for justice, peace, reconciliation, and healing in a broken world. Honestly, they lifted this language from the Judaic concept of tikkun olam, which translates as world repair. But then they went and took some liberties with the translation and the theology. So, There are people who see our whole world as broken. These are good and loving people, and they want to make things better. But something just sticks in my craw. What is it? Something about that language just makes me itchy. That's what happens. I'm getting itchy. See, I really don't have a problem with people who are motivated by their understanding of the holy to go out and do some good work. I deeply respect people of any faith who are called to address injustice. So what's this itch over the language, our broken world? What's wrong with just recognizing that some things are messed up and we can become a blessing to our world by walking humbly and doing justice? It's the broken that kind of sets me on edge. Casting our world as broken irks me. It makes me start to growl. That's how I know something serious. It ain't broke. It was built this way. So much of we say what is broken is built this way in our natural world and our human society. Rock slides and typhoons are part of that entire system of nature. They cause disruption of human activities. They cause death and illness. They are how the whole system works. It's not broken. It's complex. Complex beyond my brain's ability, but it's not broken. All right, then. But scientists are pretty much in agreement that global climate change is caused directly by human activity. Wouldn't that show that we've broken the world? Yes. And no, yes, our activities have changed the system, but it's not broken, just different. It's not very comfortable for us or many other species, but it's still a full system. There are no missing pieces, nothing's been removed, just all of the interlocked parts responding to the extraction and combustion of fossil fuels. The natural world is not broken. It's working quite well. And with or without us, it will continue following its deep, old laws. So, if anything, it's not that we need to fix 
it, but we need to get things back into balance if we and the bears and the bees and the beavers, if we are all going to survive this shift. So what about our human society? What do I mean when I say it ain't broken? It was built this way. Okay. Well, it appears that our brains are hardwired for xenophobia. As a species, we are inherently mistrustful of people outside of our immediate clan. We're kind of built that way. We have to stretch to go past it. And we do, on a very regular basis. But when that hardwired xenophobia becomes institutionalized and rationalized, it's supposed to be this way, it moves from being a residual part of our lizard brain to becoming racism. A xenophobia that prevents us all from accessing the richness of life. In that institutionalized racism, both the oppressor and the oppressed are limited. And our laws and our financial system have all been built to hold groups of othered people away from resources like education, work, health care. I mean, why did so many people of color wind up in foreclosure during the Great Recession? It hit everybody hard, but one group was especially hard hit. And it was because of a whole complex system of practices, all legal, based in greed, that kept some people hemmed into certain neighborhoods, and then other people made a whole lot of money off of them through predatory lending. It really wasn't that anyone said, how can we engineer a system to perfectly oppress people that we're uncomfortable with? Nobody said that. That's pretty much what happened. That's what happens when we don't examine prejudice. It's what happens when we don't examine the way our brains work. Nothing was broken. The system worked quite well. In fact, some systems work a whole lot better if you don't look too closely. And that's how evil moves about in this world, buried so deep into our normal that we don't notice it until a person close to us cries out. Many of the worst parts of our human society are not really broken. It's just unexamined prejudice. And any fixing that has to be done is actually the hard work of starting here unpacking and naming and trying to do it better over and over until there's less unexamined stuff around to trip us up. Okay, deep breath. So that's what I mean when I say it ain't broken. Here's another reason why the whole phrase, broken world, just really irks me down deep. 
it implies, it presumes that there is a more perfect, more preferred state that has been broken. It presumes that there is a norm that is better than a variation, which is okay as long as you fit the norm. And here's the real reason that I get kind of itchy. It's it's because it's based on an underlying theology that I find problematic. That theology, the one where the world is broken, it comes from an interpretation of the Judeo-Christian creation story. You know it. In the beginning, there was perfection. Except that actually, if you read Genesis, you'll find that there are two beginnings. In the beginning, there was perfection in a garden. And eventually, two humans who were somehow too human, not perfect, despite having been made in God's image. Do you see the setup here? The two humans transgressed one rule. Really, this was a setup. Eat anything and everything except for that one thing. And then perfection was broken. Because humans were not perfectly obedient because they were too human, despite having made their own God in their own image. This break, this rupture, this banishment and punishment, this is the underpinning of what many Christians interpret as our broken world. There was perfection, and inherent human sinfulness broke God's perfect world and continues to break this world. This suggestion, this suggests that they have some assumptions about what perfection would look like. And they're trying to fix something they perceive as broken and restore it to what they would consider whole or mended. So, the problem with presuming that our whole world is broken is that it's based upon a theology that casts us as inherently bad children who broke something, and now we're trying to fix it, but of course we can't because there's this omnipotent God who's really in charge but seems to be waiting for us to live up to or down to his expectations. Can you see why I'm getting itchy here? There's no women. Oh, wait, that's another sermon. So, here's where a different kind of theology might reframe our response. What if, instead of a single, omnipotent, omniscient, judging sky god, what if there was a theology that accepted that perfection includes things, everything, that is outside of the norm, even things that would appear imperfect? We've all seen leaves that simply grew asymmetrically, or trees that have been misshapen by terrain or weather, and yet they still grow and photosynthesize and bring beauty. We've all seen imperfection and loved it more dearly because of its uniqueness. Think of a beloved 
Is it their perfection, their adherence to some norm that you love? Or is it their crooked smile, the way that their left eyelid crinkles up more when they laugh? What if our understanding of perfection included some things that appear to be broken or imperfect? I'm not going to include the healthcare system, the criminal justice system, or um, a few others. What if our understanding of the divine included our having to help create and recreate this perfect imperfection? Rather than always failing at trying to restore Eden, what if we're actually tasked with joining in as a part of nature to create with wild diversity? Nature insists on diversity. Why are we upholding a norm all the time? In this version, our job becomes less about trying to fix everything and more about jumping in the muddy puddle, participating. You don't have to fix it all. You just have to show up. All right. Now I'm going to recognize that, yes, brokenness is very real. There really is brokenness in our world. Covenants can be broken, and people can be broken. You've all known someone who is broken. Most families have someone who really isn't okay. Maybe it was trauma. Maybe it was neurology, or both. But there's someone in our families who wound up wounded or broken, And that old judging sky god just doesn't seem interested in helping. How we respond to our broken people is how I will judge our gods. Here's an example. Cousin Guido. In one branch of my extended family, one of our broken ones was Cousin Guido. Really, that was his name. He wasn't really my cousin. He was my step-grandfather's second cousin. But in an Italian-American family, for better or worse, everyone is family. Even me. It was amazing. And when I was a little kid, I couldn't really tell how old Guido was because he seemed like a young man right up until the moment he became an old man. And this was because when he was a young man, he was sent over to fight in World War II. He was a poor Italian-American kid who was probably a little neurologically vulnerable. But he had no one to speak up for him or even to assign him to non-combat work. So like so many other poor young men, he was issued a pair of boots and a gun and sent to fight. And when the bombs started exploding and guns firing all around him, his mind snapped. It was all over. It was what used to be called shell-shocked. And Guido was stuck 
in the middle of that terror. And he stayed there for the rest of his life. Guido's father finally found him in a hospital. And back then, there was no real treatment for that kind of trauma. So his father simply brought him home and resigned to care for him. In fact, Guido's father married a younger woman just with the understanding that she would care for her, his, son, his son after he died. And she did. Arcangela, I speak her name. And the rest of the family cared for him too. My step-grandparents always included Guido in the big family dinners. And they took him places. And they'd include him exactly as he was. Not leaving him in a back room not waiting for him to get better or expecting him to change or demanding that somebody do something because they didn't expect anything. But they included him and loved him as the rocking, moaning, terrified person he was. Have you ever seen that kind of love? The love that just keeps loving someone even in their brokenness. What makes it astonishing is because it means finding the holy in the spaces that old God seemed to have deserted. If we're going to live and love brokenness, it's going to take a different kind of theology that asks us to live into what is, not in guilt or as punishment, but in a steady renewal over and over again of what family and love and connection can look like. It took the rest of Guido's life. But he did have tranquility and kindness in his later years. He knew he belonged. It was the work of the family to hold his brokenness, hold his fragility. And it showed us, the younger members of the family, that we didn't have to be perfect to be loved. We simply had to be present. This is the work of creative people who take what is imperfect and add to it with their love. Not to fix it, but to simply keep creating, keep loving alongside their God. And such is a God as I will measure us by. May it be so. If you'll read with me. The words for extinguishing our chalice, printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our closing words from Ian Huntington Bear. You are in the story of the world. May you know that you are the world coming to know itself. May you trust that all you will ever say or do belongs in the story of the world. Go in peace.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.